Hey everybody, just a quick note before we get started. This is Joshua Fields Milburn. Ryan and I recorded a live version of Ask the Minimalists. I think this one was on Facebook Live, and Sean was kind enough to capture the audio from that. So we wanted to go ahead and put that in your feed because we felt good about some of the questions, and there were some questions in here that uh, rarely get asked. So we wanted to throw this into your feed. So we hope you enjoy that. Also, if you'd like to ask us some questions in person, we'll be hitting the road a lot this year, starting with Boston and then some other cities after that. You can find all the details, tickets, and sign up for our newsletter to be notified of when we're coming to your city over at the minimalists.com slash tour. At each city, Ryan and I will give a talk about minimalism, and we will record a live version of our podcast answering your questions. And of course, afterward, we will dish out a bunch of free hugs. That's the minimalists.com slash tour to find your city. All right. I hope you enjoy this live version of Ask the Minimalists. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hey everyone, it's Joshua Fields Mulburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> Welcome to a Ask the Minimalist Facebook Live session where we want to answer all the awesome questions you have. Oh, we do indeed. So we are on Facebook Live right now. Our documentary just came out on Netflix a few weeks ago. It's called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. If you haven't checked it out, you can check it out over there on Netflix. If you don't have Netflix, you can... Find it on iTunes or Google Play or Amazon or Vimeo or wherever you find your your documentaries these days. We're going to answer a bunch of questions uh, for you. Sean is over here, Podcast Sean. He's the producer of our podcast and operational guru for The Minimalists. He handles all things difficult for The Minimalists. He's going to be throwing out some random questions from you all. So feel free to start asking your questions and don't worry, if, you, if we don't have an answer for your question, we brought an entire bag of answers, so we will answer a random question if we don't have an answer to your question. So go ahead and start asking, and I think we will start answering. Yes, do we have any questions yet? If not, i got plenty of questions for Josh. <laughs> yeah, we have one that uh, comes up about every time, so you guys can address it again. When are you coming to my town? When are we coming to your town? Never. <laughs> I'm wow. just kidding. No, we would love to come to your town, man. I wish we could visit every single city and every single part of the world. I will say that we are planning to come to some random cities this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go to theminimalist.com slash tour, you could certainly uh, see our tour schedule there. Or if you go to theminimalist.com and put your email address in there and sign up for our newsletter, uh, you will certainly be made aware uh, through that newsletter of when we will be touring and where we will be. I hope we can see you soon yeah we've, we've been to a bunch of cities over the last what we, we started doing tours back in 2011 yeah uh, our very first book came out it was called minimalism live a meaningful life ryan and i wrote about getting rid of the excess stuff in our life and uncovering these these five values health relationships 
passion, growth, contribution. And we hit the road with that book, and it was an amazing experience for me because we didn't have much of a, a readership at that time. And so our very first tour stop was in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is really where minimalism kind of started for me. Uh, it's where my mother lived when she passed away, and, and, and when, she, when that happened, I started questioning a bunch of different things in my life. And, and um, so I had to go down there and deal with a lot of her possessions, and it was my first my first leap into letting go, especially of letting go of sentimental items. And so we went down there for this tour stop in uh, November of 2011, and eight people showed up, and I was completely blown away. Like, Josh, the two of us don't count. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, Ryan, I, I resent that comment. I think you do count. Oh, that's really nice of you. <laughs> no, that was a great stop, man. And that's where we. That's where we were like, we finally discovered, like, you know what? We're huggers now. Yes. We're not going to shake hands anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and so so if you've uh, been able to make out to many of, I mean, we've done over uh, several hundred tour stops at, at this point, and uh, we will certainly do a lot more. And uh, if you like, we will certainly dish out hugs. They are free and transferable, so make sure you grab one next time we're on tour. If you sign up for that email list, you will be uh, the first to know. Uh, the crowds have grown a bit since then. A little bit. Um, we, we've, we've been fortunate enough to be at those, those small events where we've had literally two people show up in Knoxville, Tennessee. We had two people show up in Salt Lake City. And, and uh, you know, now it's hundreds or in some cases even thousands of, of people that, that show up. At the end of our uh, tour in 2014, we did 100 cities in, what was it, eight countries, 119 events. And in Sydney, Australia, we had something like 1,400 people who, who showed up there. And what we've learned throughout this whole journey is there was nothing that was like a viral moment for us. It just slowly and incrementally grew because when you get value from something, you tend to share it with your friends and family. And so when you learn about this minimalist lifestyle, when, when you learn about about letting go and you find some value in it, you tend to share it with the people you care about in hopes that they get the same amount of value from that as well. And so I think it's the reason that the documentary has done fairly well recently. A lot of people are sharing that with their friends and, and family. And... Um, we're, we're just grateful that you're willing to give up your two most precious resources with us. It's your time and your attention. And we're grateful that our message is, is serving some purpose and, and uh, allowing us to contribute in, in a meaningful way. All right, Sean, what else we got? All right. Does minimalism have to be all in or can it be a gradual transition? Man, does minimalism have to be all in or can it be a gradual transition? I don't know. I mean, you, what do you think? We should we should just start telling people to get a dumpster and throw everything away, right? Yeah, that, that's 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 it, real minimalism there. <laughs> it, well, in retrospect, that's kind of what I wish I would have done, right? Ryan. Like, right. like uh, not literally throw my stuff out, but I wish I would have gotten rid of ninety percent of my stuff in in a, in a more environmentally friendly way than just throwing it out. I, w- I, I wish what I would have done was. Um, identify very quickly what adds value to my life. In fact, so, so Ryan and I had different stories when we jumped into it. Yeah, I, I let go of one thing a day for 30 days to get some momentum that I needed, and then that, that snowball started to take off. And so it was very gradual for me, but at the end of eight months, I realized I'd gotten rid of about 90% of my possessions. Now, the average American household has 300,000 items in it, so think about the math there, 300,000 items. I probably had more than that if I'm being honest with myself. And if I get rid of, what, 90% of that stuff, I still have 30,000 items left. So you don't walk into my house today usually and say, oh, my God, th- these people are minimalists. You walk in and say, wow, this is, family is really tidy. 
And it's because we don't own much, but everything that we do own serves a purpose or brings us joy. But it took me a lo- really long time to get there. And I wish I would have done basically what, what you did, Ryan, and just sort of box up all my junk. Yeah, and you know, I'm still not done being a minimalist. Yes. So, you know, I think it is always going to be a gradual process. Uh-huh. I mean, unless you do get a dumpster and throw everything out, well, you'll probably be miserable if you do that. So, you know, I would I would say, yes, minimalism is always going to be this gradual process. I wish, God, I wish I had this, like, perfect list of, you know, 100 things or 200 things like, hey, you know, me and Mariah, we've decided that here are the most uh, t- uh, the most important 200 things in our lives. And if you and your partner, if you decide to bring these 200 things in your life and that's it, this will make you perfectly happy. But like, that's just that's just not how it works. Uh, we have the key to happiness. How great would that be, man? Oh, man. Just here, yeah, here are the 100 items you're supposed to own. And then here's the magic bullet answer. Oh, man, it, that'd be so nice. But the truth is, the things that add value to my life may not add value to Ryan's. Ryan has a snowboard, and he uses it all the time. If I owned a snowboard, I would be a waste of space, a waste of money, and, and, and also would take up this sort of mental clutter as well because I'm like, why do I own this thing? Why am I storing it? Why? It wouldn't make sense. But for Ryan, it certainly makes sense because it is a tool that improves his life. And so the things that add value to my life may not add value to yours and vice versa. And here's the other cool thing. I'm 35 years old now. And the things that I I get a lot of joy from today are going to be different. The things that I need today are different. And so, like Ryan said, it's not a journey that you you get there. Once you get to the horizon, there's always going to be another horizon. Yeah, I would even throw a warning out there. If you ever feel like you're getting to the end of your minimalist journey, uh, that's probably a cue for you to really start um, making sure that you're keeping up those habits that you instilled. Mm-hmm. Because it's so often that I hear uh, people say, oh, man, I decluttered. I got rid of so much stuff. I really had some good habits. And then, you know, I kind of let that stuff creep back in because I thought I was done. And, uh, yeah, just to reiterate, you're never done with, with minimalism. Uh, it is a constant journey. And, 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 yeah, good luck on your journey. What yeah. else we got, Sean? All right. You're saying minimalism. I'm convinced. I've adopted it. Now, how do I get my family on board? I'm struggling among maximalists. Okay, if you buy each of your family member three copies of our book, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be it'll it'll fix them permanently. Josh, wait, now wait. Each member has to have three copies. Exactly of each book. Of each book. So nine books total. Right. So we've written three books. You know. Well, they're all basically the same book. We just put different covers on. <laughs> Right? Right, right. No, so, so Ryan and I wrote a, 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 a why-to book, a what-to book, and a how-to book. Uh, we we kind of go through the details. If you go to theminimalists.com slash the number three all spelled out, uh, it's called Don't Collect All Three. But that's really the, the purpose. Like our, our books are just experiences. They're meant to be passed on and then minimize it after you're done with it. And I wish there was another answer here that was simple, like, well, here's the thing that you can do to get your entire family on board. But uh, here, here's another way to think about it. How do you get your entire family to go play hockey? It's yeah. going to be really difficult to go get your whole family to go play hockey. But it, if you want, if you truly want them to do it, the best way to do it, instead of dragging them all out into the ice and starting to like nail cleats on, or not, you know, it's not cleats, it's skates. Why are the way? Why are you? Why is your family wearing cleats on the ice? <laughs> why would you yeah. do that to your family? Yes, you're not going to nail cleats to their feet or uh, skates to their feet or buy them a bunch of hockey books. Oh my goodness, no! <laughs> what you're going to do is show them how much fun you have, the benefits you're experiencing from from hockey, and maybe some of them may enjoy it somewhat. Uh, 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 similar to, to how you have, have decided to 
enjoy hockey. Now, the nice thing about this is, uh, about minimalism, is it's more applicable than hockey is, obviously, because the benefits are greater with something like minimalism because they're different for all of us. For me, when I first embraced minimalism, it was because I was in so much debt. I had six figures worth of debt, and I needed to, to get rid of that. And so I, I realized one of the benefits for me was letting go of this stuff allowed me to refocus my priorities and, and maybe not be as tied to this income long term if I was able to pay off my debt and, and live a more meaningful life even with less money. And that was okay for me to be able to do that. And so letting go of the stuff meant I could pay off the debt. But for other people, they may not have a problem with debt. And especially for kids, they, they don't have a problem with debt. They don't even know what debt is. Every time I try to explain to Ella, like, you have to pay for something, she's like, hey, Josh, I want to go here today. I said, well, who's going to pay for it? And she was, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so debt isn't a big uh, a big factor for her. So so the question that that really resonates with a lot of people is how might your life be better with less? Mm. You're gonna have to ask your que- that question to your family. How might your life be better with less? And help them identify what what in their life could improve by having fewer attachments to material possessions. That's a good point, man. Like if they don't see. Uh, the reason why they want to start minimizing, like they're they're never going to minimize. Right. I mean, it's uh, it's like someone who plays video games all day long. If they don't see a problem with it, then mm-hmm. there's no way that you're going to get that person to stop playing video games. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so so identifying those those benefits are a great great first step. And then once you get on the same page, the best way to do that is figure what are the common benefits? Because if debt's a problem for you, and then and then shopping is, is taking up too much time for someone else, so they're re- regaining control of their time. Someone else, they regain control of their creativity, maybe. Figure out what the common benefits are for the entire family, and then start to focus on those using the same language. And I think the, the reason we've, we've written a few books and put a documentary out there is we want to give people the, the vernacular. We want to give you the common language that you can use to simplify your lives together. And so I think those are, those are good places to start. You can go to your local library and find uh, any, of our, any of our three books. I, I would certainly recommend with starting with a book called Everything That Remains. That, that's the Why To book. It's a journey of the last five years of our lives uh, uh, that we went from these suit and tie corporate guys to becoming the minimalists. And then we wrote a book uh, called Minimalism, Living a Meaningful Life. It uncovers the five values of living uh, more intentionally. And then we wrote an essay collection called Essential. And that book has 150 essays about 12 different topics, everything from finances to mindfulness to decluttering to priorities and success and sort of everything in between. And so I think if you go down that path, it'll help you identify what, what's the language we're going to use to start working on this together. And then last but not least, work hard to understand the people in your family. Just because you're getting uh, not getting value from something doesn't mean that they won't. And so you have to not just tolerate them, but work on a path toward acceptance and respect and ultimately appreciation of other mm. people's values and joy and beliefs. Yeah, and you know, I I would just add, if you have someone in your household whose maximalism is like encroaching on your life, and it's someone in your life who who loves you and wants you to be happy, it's perfectly appropriate to go to that person and ask for support. It doesn't mean that they have to have a packing party Mm. or uh, that they have to get rid of their DVD collection, Um, but, but it does mean that they do need to at least support you the way that you're trying to support them. Um, another idea, too, that I've seen work in a lot of households is just putting a donation box out and in, in maybe in the living room somewhere where uh, it's it's always in front of the family. Um, I know I, I've seen families do this where 
the the other family members were not on board. They didn't want to give up anything. But then when they saw that donation box, it made him think like, wow, maybe I can contribute to someone else in a meaningful way or give someone something uh, who uh, that I'm not using and I'm not finding value in it. Maybe that person will find value in it. Um, kids love to donate. Like th- this is uh, this is this is a great way to get kids involved. So there's a couple more tips for you. Um, yeah, good luck, John. What else do we have? All right, this is one we haven't uh, had before. It's a good question. What is your view on end of life planning as a minimalist? It seems so expensive. Yeah, mm. expensive for, for end-of-life planning. Well, I, I wrote an essay about this. I'll pull it up real quick. Give me a second here, and I'll let Ryan uh, pontificate. <laughs> yes. No, end-of-life planning. Um, I don't know if they're talking about retirement or if they're talking about a funeral. Funeral. Okay, yeah, so we're talking about expensive. funeral arrangements. I mean, I, first off, and this is just my personal opinion, so like, take this with a grain of salt. And, uh, you know, uh, this is not like me preaching that everyone else should have this this attitude, but... Um, my opinion is, why would I spend thousands of dollars on a box to put myself in a ground? Like that doesn't make it to me. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like I would just, I would either donate my body to science, mm-hmm. which my grandfather totally did, mm-hmm. um, or uh, I could um, just get cremated. Um, I, I actually pr- probably donating my body to science would be the most value adding way or vo- most value adding yeah. thing I could do with my death. But spending thousands of dollars on on a casket and, and the funeral arrangements. I mean, certainly, you know, if people want to, uh, uh, have a memorial or something, I mean, that's totally appropriate. Um, but spending the extra thousands of dollars on the casket and then getting buried in the ground to me seems kind of silly, man. Mm. Yeah. Well, it, I, I agree with you. So in fact, in my, my will, um, and I have a little wall, a card in my wallet as well. So a few things. One is I have a do not resu- do not resuscitate, and basically I don't want to be given anything besides painkillers at, at end of life. So my will it talks about I want to uh, donate my organs uh, to science, and then whatever's left of me just uh, be cremated, mm. right? Because you know, once I'm gone, even if my my body's still there, I believe that that I am I'm gone, right? Yeah. But let's talk about death, preparing for death. So here's an essay at, at theminimalist.com/slash death. And it's called Scared to Death of Death, The Important Things That We Postpone. And so I talked about my will, but let me just read this to you real quick. I think it'll, it'll provide some direction for that question. No one wants to discuss death, and yet we're all going to die, obviously, which makes for an irksome paradox. What's worse is we often refuse to discuss important topics surrounding death, such as burial plans, cremation, living wills, and the like. The younger we are, the more we pretend the inevitable isn't inevitable. And so we live our daily lives with these worries in the back of our minds, uncertain of what will happen if we get sick, if we die unexpectedly, if we become unconscious and can no longer make decisions for ourselves. Well, that could never happen to me, we think, knowing full well it could and it might, young or old, We're all one brief moment away from a disaster. We needn't be afraid, though. Just prepared. I wasn't prepared for many, many years. Recently, though, I took worry by the the hand and faced the fact that at any time, I'm a moment away from death. So I decided to plan accordingly by obtaining the following documents. So the first thing I got was a living will. A living will, which is also known as an advanced care 
advanced healthcare directive or advanced medical directive is a legal document that provides your family, doctors, and caregivers with information about what life-saving measures you wish to be taken should there come a time when you are unable to communicate your wishes. Uh, the next document is a last will and testament. Uh, a last will and testament will is, is a legal document that dictates what happens to your estate once you pass away. Uh, if you have a complicated estate, it's best to have an attorney, obviously, help you with, uh, you r- with writing your, your last will and testament so you can ensure your estate is settled appropriately. If your situation is relatively straightforward, like mine, you can draft your own last will and testament, uh, which will save you on attorney's fees. Uh, it's actually something in between. We'll talk about it in a second here. Um, <clears throat> it's best to learn about the components of a last will and testament and how you can ensure that yours is legally viable. And that was important for me. Uh, the next thing I did was a power of attorney. Uh, as an independent adult, it is important to, for you to have a will, but you must also consider your uh, power of attorney. This document legally allows a person to uh, you select to be in charge of your financial matters, such as conducting bank transactions, investing money. Uh, so that person for me is Ryan. Uh, property matters, such as management of property and other legal situations, uh, such as operating a small business. Uh, a power of attorney is not only used in cases of disability and illness, but is also in cases where you uh, can, <clears throat> but also in cases where you can't be somewhere to sign a legal document. So, my power of attorney is is just upon sort of my if I'm if I'm unable to sign to sign a document. Uh, last thing I got here is an organ donor. So I wrote a whole essay about that, and I won't bother reading it to you. But um, I would encourage you to be an organ donor. Uh, because it, you can literally save other people's lives, even in your own death. Uh, although I want to live for a long time, my deathbed ducks are now in a row. Even better, I'm free of the worry regarding those plans. There are other documents and considerations to consider, but the four listed above are a great start toward calm waters and a calm mind. Uh, personally, I used a, a service called LegalZoom, and I don't have any uh, stake in the company. Or it's not an advertisement or anything. It's just who I use personally. Uh, for some of the above documents. Super affordable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, they, I mean, to get all of those documents, it's like, what, 50 bucks maybe? Uh, it was over 100 but yeah. Oh, it was still, okay. I mean, but still, you, you I go mean, to an attorney, it's going to cost you over $1,000 yeah, to get easy. that stuff. Yeah. And, and so I found that for me, just that that it's a relief to, to feel prepared for that, right? And so I have a last will. Uh, and I've, I've actually used them for other uh, documents too. We use them for our, our business operating agreement. Right. We use it to form an LLC in the past. Um, so I've used it for, for different stuff in the past. And, uh, you know, it, it's up to you. You know, wh- what's your comfort level? Do you want someone else to be determining what's going to happen, even with the, the $800 that's in your checking account or whatever? Uh, because it's going to be really difficult. Even if someone has access to that, it's going to be difficult to prove to, to the government. And someone's going to decide for you. You might as well be the one who, who decides for yourself. Mm. So you can check that out, theminimalists.com slash death. Yeah, that is a good question. Thank you very much. What else we got, Sean? All right. Part of my resistance in letting go of something is the amount of money I paid for it. I paid good money for that. I can't just let it go. Mm. Oh, man. How did you get past that? So uh, the Sean's, the, the Sean just uh, gave us a question about what do you do when you have an item and you feel like 
you've spent so much money on that, you know, a couple years ago. Why would you why would you get rid of something you spent so much money on? You know, I had this uh, experience with the packing party when I was going through that 80% of stuff that was still left in boxes. I had all these old cell phones. Now, keep in mind first off, I worked at a telecommunications company, so I had access to phones. Uh, it's not like I needed to hold on to these old cell phones, but that's why I held on to them. It was with that mentality of, man, this phone, well this this BlackBerry, good mm-hmm. grief, man, that <laughs> you had a drawer full of uh, 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 obsolete black Blackberries. Obsolete blackberries. But you know what, though? Uh, coming from that world, I know that uh, the company I worked for, you know, when they had a retail price of four ninety nine ninety nine retail, that's what the company paid for the phone. Maybe they paid four eighty nine ninety nine for it uh, and marked it up ten bucks. But I know that that phone was worth hundreds of dollars. Well, you know, two or three years later, like I really had to be honest with myself. That mm. phone is. I'm never going to get hundreds of dollars out of it. In fact. Uh, I'd be lucky to get even ten bucks out of it, right. and I started to have to. I started having to look at things uh, as sunk cost, and I, I think you know an, another way to look at it too is opportunity cost. If you hold on to an item that is making you feel weighed down, that you are feeling stressed out about, and you decide to hold on to it, well, the freedom that that space clearing in your mind—that's the opportunity cost. You're giving that up. Whereas if you are giving up that phone, you are gaining that that space in your mind. You're gaining less clutter, and the opportunity cost is that sunk cost that you're never going to get back anyway. Yeah, totally agree. So the the sunk cost fallacy is real, and the way that I was able to get over it is something. It's a rule that we implemented a long time ago, but it's helped me out a lot. It's called the just-in-case rule. Uh, You might also know it as the 20-20 rule. And I found that many of those things I was holding on to, and especially the things that were supposedly more expensive, like a BlackBerry or a piece of furniture that I never used or whatever, these were things I was holding on to just in case I needed them someday in some non-existent hypothetical future. And what I learned is that these three words, just-in-case, they disempowered me. Mm. They, they, they forced me to continue to hold on to these things because I thought I might need them someday. But the truth is that nearly 100% of the just-in-case items that we hold on to, we're never going to use again. And so what I realized is that I can give myself permission to let go of these just-in-case items. And anything I need to replace, just in case, I could replace for less than $20 in less than 20 minutes from wherever I am. And that rule has held up for me and Ryan 100% of the time over the last five years since we implemented that rule. And between the two of us, we'd ha- we've had to use that rule five times. And, that, the, and so, yeah, it's going to cost me 20 bucks times five. Uh, that's $100. Half of that's 50 So it's cost me $50 in five years, $10 a year. That's pretty cheap insurance. Yeah. It, 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 to, to let go of literally tens of thousands of items that are in the way, that I would need a bigger space or a storage locker or something else to, to hold on to these things. They're going to cost me a lot more even holding on to those things. Not just the price, but it's going to cost me a lot more mentally, emotionally, physically holding on to those those physical items, especially if you move and you have to lug all those just-in-case items around. By letting go of those also, you're going to add value to someone else's life because you're not getting value from it anymore. But let's be honest, Ryan, if you had gotten rid of those Blackberries two years earlier, someone who didn't have a phone would at least have the opportunity to use that yeah, that's somewhere. Yeah, that's a good point. And we had, we had donation programs. that you know somewhere Someone somewhere would be able to use that as opposed to it just sitting in a drawer until it becomes a useless piece of junk. Yeah. Uh, Sean, let's do one more question here. All right. Here's Make it a good, good one. Here's a good one. A really good one. <laughs> Everyone adopts minimalism and stops buying stuff. Mm-hmm. 
won't that cause an economic crisis? That's a good good question. So uh, the question was if if uh, everyone stopped buying stuff and became a minimalist, it would crash the economy. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, oh, they're no. right. It would crash the economy. That is, a, that is a very, very true statement. If everyone stopped buying everything, it would crash the economy. But guess what? When everyone buys stuff and buys too much, that also crashes the economy, as we saw in 2008. When we take out too much debt, when we take out too many loans, when we consume till our heart is content and more, the economy crashes as well. And I like to think that minimalism kind of brings a, a balance between those two extremes because minimalism is not about consuming. It's, or it's not about not consuming. Mm. It's not about just giving up uh, uh, your purchasing power and, and going off in the middle of the woods and, and, and shredding your identification and, and never talking to the government. I mean, that is maybe for some people minimalism, uh, but that's not, that's not Josh and I's, uh, uh, the way that we live our lives. And that's not how we're encouraging other people to live their lives. What we really talk against is that compulsory consumption, that, that impulse of consumption, buying things to fill this void that will never be filled with stuff. Yeah, I think I'll, this is a perfect way to end it because this question is an important one. For a few things I'll say first off is, no, I don't think everyone's going to jump up and become a minimalist. That, and that's not what we're trying to do. We're not try, trying to convert everyone to minimalism. Josh, I don't think we can convert people by definition. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> there's nothing to convert to. I can't no. baptize you in minimalism. I don't have a certificate for you. Wait a minute. I think you're up. We could start charging for baptisms <laughs> and certificates. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a little dropper of water. <laughs> no, so I'm going to read this to you. It's an essay that I wrote over at the Minimalists. Uh, actually, both of us wrote. It's called Stimulate the Economy Like a Minimalist. If everyone immediately stopped spending their money, our economy would crash. This goes without saying. Consequently, one of the biggest supposed arguments many people have against minimalism is that if everyone became a minimalist, then we'd all be doomed. The financial system as it stands today would collapse, and no longer would we have the wealth necessary to purchase cheap plastic crap from Walmart. There are several problems with this point of view. Some obvious some a bit more abstruse. First, no informed person would argue that we should stop spending money or that we must stop consuming. Consumption is not the problem. Compulsory consumption is the problem. Consumerism is compulsory, vapid, pernicious, impulsive, unfocused, misguided. Worst of all, it is seductive. Consumerism's shiny facade promises more than it can possibly deliver. Because love, happiness, contentment, and satisfaction are all internal feelings that cannot be commodified. And the truth is that once our basic needs are met, the acquisition of trinkets does little for our lifelong well-being. Using consumerism to stimulate the economy is like fixing a cracked mirror with a hammer. It only worsens the problem. Yes, Trade is an important part of any society. Circumventing consumerism, however, doesn't, ap- doesn't imply that minimalists sidestep commerce. Rather, minimalism is predicated on intentionality, which me- means we spend our money more deliberately. Minimalists invest in experiences over possessions, travel, indie concerts, vacations, community theater, etc., We can all spend money without acquiring new material possessions. Minimalists buy new possessions carefully. To do so, we must ask better questions like, will this thing add value to my life? 
Take a drink. <laughs> That's the drinking game for anyone. Uh, anytime we save add value on our podcast, which, by the way, we just had a bunch of new uh, uh, podcast episodes come out in the last week or two, creativity and letting go and parenting and a bunch of other stuff. So if you haven't checked it out uh, yet, you can just go to uh, our iTunes feed, itunes.com slash the minimalists. Uh, anyway, uh, back to the text here. Minimalists support local businesses. Local indie shops tend to be less motivated by profit. Sure, they need to make money to keep the lights on, and there's nothing wrong with that. But earning a buck usually isn't the primary concern of the local bookstore, restaurateur, or bike shop. They are in business because they are passionate about the product, about their product or service, and they want to share that passion with their patrons. Passion begets greater quality and better service, which makes the money they earn well-deserved. Ultimately, minimalists aren't interested in, quote, stimulating the economy. Stimulation is ephemeral. We'd rather improve our economy's long-term health by making better individual decisions about consumption, getting involved in our community, and supporting local businesses who care. If more people do this, we'll build a stronger community one that's predicated on personal responsibility and community interaction, not a false sense of urgency and the mindless stockpiling of junk we never needed in the first place. All right, Joe, I think that's a good place to end it. Thanks for spending this time with us today. thanks for joining us. On Facebook Live. If you haven't yet, you want to check out our documentary, you can on Netflix. It's called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. And we just recorded our 50th episode a few moments ago, uh, for our podcast. So we've done a year of podcasting uh, of The Minimalist Podcast, which you can check out over at theminimalists.com. And as always, if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. So tear your 